Revelation chapter 20, we're finished the first three verses, so I'll read down from the beginning. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit. A great chain was in his hand, and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. After that, he must be loosed. He doesn't escape. He must be loosed for a little season. And I saw the thrones. I'm sorry. I saw thrones. This is where we are. And they sat upon them. And judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. And for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. And the rest of the dead lived not until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection and our sixth beatitude now in the book. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and again shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed (coughs) out of his prison. So we come to this remarkable portion of Scripture. Three, three times, I think, in chapter 19, four times in chapter 20, it says, and I saw. Well, wonderfully, in chapter 19, once it says, and I heard. I think here once it says, I heard. But John is saying, I saw this. You have to understand. I saw this. Not I glanced at it. So Eden, I perceived it. I looked at it, and I saw something. It was in, in my heart, in my mind. I perceived what I looked at. And he's saying here, as he looked at this, I saw a throne. Satan is bound. You know, that influence of his evil is put aside. Armageddon is over. Christ is beginning to set up his kingdom. And he said, and I saw thrones and they that sat on them. And then it tells us about those who were martyrs during this period of time in the tribulation who had been beheaded. By the way, that's not a bad way to go. I'd much rather be beheaded than eaten by a shark or something, you know. They were beheaded, and uh, they didn't receive the mark. They didn't worship the beast or the number of his name and so forth. And they lived. Now, that demands resurrection because it's going to talk about the others that don't live, who are alive in Hades today, until the thousand years are over. So when it says they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years, they're raised. So we have this remarkable picture. There is a reigning. There are thrones. Look, you and I are part of that, but always remember, you know, we reign with Christ for that thousand-year period. He does not reign with us. We reign with him. He's the reigner. We're the little reigners. And he's calling the shots. Tells us in 19, he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And his throne is over all the subsidiary thrones, which is you and I. So there are thrones. How many thrones? Doesn't say. 
they that sat on them. How many sitters? We're not told that either. We know this. On some of these thrones are the apostles. Jesus, in Matthew 19, it says, Then Peter said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that he which have uh, followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. We have a similar statement in Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, and I appoint unto you a kingdom, as my Father hath appointed you, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So we know Israel's going to be governed by the apostles. They're immortal. Mortals are going to be judged and governed by mortals. So so that we at least know there's those twelve thrones. We know that for sure. We're told this in Revelation chapter 1. It says to you and I, it says, Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, he hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever. He mentions that again in chapter 5, where he says this, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain, and hath redeemed us to God by thy blood. Again, out of every kindred, there's no prejudice, there's no bigotry, out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation, and has made us unto our God kings and priests. And then it says, and we shall reign on the earth. So this is you and I. This is the church. This is the redeemed. All of those on white horses coming behind the king of kings and lord of lords. Are there millions? We don't know. Then are there millions of thrones? We are going to reign with him. It says that in the scripture. And then it says there's those martyrs from the tribulation period. They're going to reign with them a thousand years. In fact, practicality here, Paul tells us this. He says, Dare any of you, having a matter against a brother, go to law to the unjust instead of before the saints? Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that you shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this world? So Paul takes the time to say, hey, this is a reality. This is going to happen. If you're going to sit on thrones and and rule and reign with Christ over the nations... You're going to judge angels. How come you can't settle the squabbles on earth that you're going through? You know, it's a great exhortation for us. You think what's ahead of us, and yet, you know, we always want to turn a mountain into a molehill. Here, we, we're always 
have more knowledge than we do grace. We forget that knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. But, you, you know, how many are there? How many thrones? <coughs> how many people on them? It seems initially, when the millennium begins, we have the judgment of the nations in Matthew 25, where Jesus separates the sheep from the goats. It's like the wheat and the tares. And he tells those of his own brethren, Israel, and no doubt those who ministered to them, to enter into the kingdom prepared for you by your father from the foundation of the world. He tells the goats that mistreated the Jews, that mistreated people, he said, they, they're sent away into everlasting fire. So you have all of those. You have the Old Testament saints raised. So how many thrones are there? It seems initially, by the info he gives us, that there will be more thrones than there will be survivors going into the millennium. We know that there's 144,000. We know that there's the Jews who fled to Petra into the wilderness that will survive. And then there's a smattering, it seems, of Jews and Gentiles besides that, that in their human form go into the millennium. And in the beginning of this thousand-year reign, obviously it seems everybody who enters in, because the Lord separated the goats, everybody who enters in is a believer. Then the problem will be having children. I mean, Kathy and I had four kids in 20 years. Imagine what damage we could do in a thousand years. You know, you know, the earth is going to be, Jesus said to Adam in the beginning, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Now that's going to happen to a remarkable degree. So as time goes on, I mean, I might get the first hundred years off, but then somebody's going to say, hey, your number's up, but they need somebody down there in this area. Somebody down there, oh, there's so many over there, you know, just so ultimately we'll all end up in this process with Christ ruling and reigning as the population of the earth returns and comes back again. We know that as we look at this, his rule over mankind, the judgment of the nations in Matthew 25, and then we hear this in Isaiah. It says, And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow into it. And many people shall come and go, and they will say, Come ye, let us go up to the house, the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us. He's giving Bible studies there. He will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he shall judge many nations. And he shall rebuke many people. And after he rebukes them and judges them, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. This is part of what he will teach them as they go to listen to him. It tells us this in... Micah, it says, And he shall judge among many people, and rebuke strong nations afar off. 
and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Then it tells us this in Zechariah. It says, And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, from the house of Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace unto the nations, and his dominion shall be from sea even to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. So when Christ reigns and we're on thrones with him, one of the first things that will happen is trillions of dollars of military spending will be garnered. It no longer needs to be spent. No more wars. No more armies. That money will go. There will be general prosperity in the earth. They say today, with 7 billion people on the planet, that there's enough wealth in, on, in the earth for every person on the earth to be a billionaire more than once over. So the problem isn't that there's not enough wealth. The problem is greed and power. You see it all the time. People want money. When they get enough money, they're bored. Then they want power. They start to influence. Well, he's going to have the power. He's going to be in charge. No more war. No more learning to hate, to go to battle. Remarkable scenes he puts in front of us. Tells us this in Ezekiel. It says... This is part of the governing. And David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they all shall have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. They shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob, my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt. And they shall dwell therein, even they and their children and their children's children forever and my servant David shall be their prince forever. <clears throat> so David's going to be resurrected. He's going to be mayor of Jerusalem, whatever. He's going to be their governor. You know, he's going to be there. No war. These things are taking place. Um, and, the, and the Lord is showing forth the way this government's going to be. So in his governance, no war, no violence, no hatred. Every people, every nation getting along, going up to Jerusalem. He's teaching there. He's making sure people understand. David is there remarkably in this picture. He says here he's going to rule over, that's mankind, he's going to rule over the natural world. It says this in Isaiah. It says, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid. And the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed together. Their young ones shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like an ox. And the nursing child shall play in the hole of the cobra. And the wean child shall put his hand into the cockatrice den when he rules over man he will rule over the animal kingdom and if people can finally get along certainly creation is going to finally get along and be the way that it should be you don't have to save the whales you just need to save the people so we can get out of here god will save the whales you know the ecology the whole green deal that's his he knows the way it should work 
and he's going to rule over mankind. He's going to rule over creation. Isaiah 65 says this. It says, The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the bullock, and the dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, saith the Lord. And Paul tells that in Romans. The whole creation is groaning and travailing, you know, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God because the creation itself was made subject to vanity through the fall and the creation can't wait to come back again. So it'll be like the days that when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. It won't be perfect because there still will be human beings on the planet with a fallen nature. But creation, government, the animal kingdom, all of that longevity will be restored to human beings. This kingdom is going to be remarkable as we look at this. Now, worship. Worship becomes a huge question during this period because in Ezekiel 40, Ezekiel 43, Ezekiel 46, Isaiah 56, Jeremiah 33, all of those places talk about a sacrificial system during the millennium, sacrifices being made. Now, of course, that is a problem because Hebrews 7, Hebrews chapter 9, and then finally Hebrews 10 says it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Jesus says, wherefore, he says, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared for me. In burnt offerings and offerings for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will. You know, it says there Jesus himself acknowledges it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. If the if that kind of sacrifice could take away sin, Jesus would not have had to come and die on the cross. The deal is all of the sacrifices in the Old Testament system were prophetic. They were anticipatory. They were looking forward to the one who would come and fulfill all of those things. Every time a lamb was slain and you would take a lamb from your flock, you would go to the tabernacle or temple. The priest would take you, you would put your hand on the animal's head, he would put the knife in your hand and cut the throat of the lamb the blood would drain into a golden bowl. The animal would begin to shake under your hand and collapse. And you would have a tremendous sense that an innocent substitute had to die in your place. And again, the question was not whether you were innocent. You were not innocent. You were not spotless. That's why you brought a sacrifice. You, are, you weren't clean. That was a foregone conclusion. You had to bring a lamb without spot the priest never examined the worshiper. He examined the lamb. It was a picture of Christ. It was looking forward to his coming. Now, you and I, the church of the firstborn, we sit at the table and we break the bread and we partake of the cup. And it's memorial. It reminds us of what Jesus did on the cross, his broken body and his shed blood. Old Testament looking forward to that. You and I do this in remembrance of me. During the kingdom age, the sacrificial system is memorial. 
It looks back instead of looking forward like the Old Testament to what Christ has done. Because look, kids will be born. Kids that don't know Christ. You know, maybe they'll get saved at 50. Maybe they'll get saved at 100. Maybe they'll get saved at 500. I don't know. But they're going to have to believe that this mighty king, the king of kings and the lord of lords who rules over the earth, that at one point they spit in his face and they beat him beyond human recognition and they scourged his skin off of his back and they nailed him to a wooden cross and they killed him. They're going to have to believe that this mighty king did that and they're going to have to accept that in faith just like the Old Testament saints accepted substitutionary atonement in faith just like you and I today, if we want to be saved, if you're not saved, you need to listen today. We have, we have to accept Jesus Christ's death in our place in faith, in faith. And that will also happen during the kingdom age. Those sacrifices will remind people of what this powerful king had accomplished in their place. So they will be memorial. It's important. There will be health. You know, I look at some of you, I know that you're getting chemotherapy, some of you surgery, you know, you got all kinds of stuff going on. Wonderfully, when we look at this in Isaiah, uh, it tells us this. It says, and the inhabitant shall not say, I am sick. James Dobson always said on his mother's, on his mother's headstone, it says, see, I told you I was sick. He said, because nobody ever believes mom. He said, he said, but it says there's nobody's going to say, I am sick. Their sins and iniquities, it says, will be forgiven. Isaiah 35 says it this way. The eyes of the blind shall be open. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. The, then shall the lame man leap as, as the heart as the deer. The tongue of the dumb shall sing. And in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert, Isaiah 65 says this. It says, <clears throat> oh, excuse me. Isaiah 65:20 says, and there shall be no more at that time period an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old, but the sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed. So, yes, there will be humans that live. Yes, there will be difficulties. Yes, it says sometimes you'll see a child die at a hundred, but there's not going to be an old person that's not going to live out their years, live out their days. It tells us this in Zechariah, and I love this portion of Scripture, where it says, uh, again, the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I was jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I was jealous for her with great fury. Thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Zion. I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called a city of truth and a mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, there shall... Uh, there shall yet old men and old women dwell in the streets of Jerusalem. Every man with his staff in his hand of very age. Now look, it just told us that 
people are going to live out their days. And it says in the kingdom, the way the Lord wants this, old people are going to walk in the streets with their cane in their hand. And these old people are 800 years old, nine, these are old people, understand. What's your name again? You know, you and your wife, or, oh, and he remembered our 753rd anniversary. I'm so I'm touched, you know. Uh, you just imagine the, the, the old folks walking. They're not afraid to be in the street. They're not carrying. They've got a nine in the back. You know, just they're, they're walking out there. There's no violence. There's no fear. They're walking in the streets in the evening. It says with their cane. It says, and the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets thereof. Children doesn't it say praying in the streets. It says playing in the streets. That's what kids are supposed to do. Nobody's sitting at a Head Start program uh, uh, learning math, you know, because you, you're a kid when you're 50. You got plenty of time to learn math, you know. The kids are going to be playing in the street. They're safe, you know. Oh, you're driving me crazy. Go on out and play. Go play with a lion or a cobra or something. I'll see you at dinner time, you know. You just the the the, the whole environment is so. Remarkable. That was Zechariah chapter 8. Uh, again, in Zechariah chapter 8, it says this, And the inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go speedily to pray before the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. And Zechariah says, I will go also. Yea, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts. There's no prejudice. Every race, every people, they're coming in the kingdom to see the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord in his presence as he's there. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, in those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of all languages and nations. They shall even take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, We will go with you, for we have heard that God, Jesus, God is with you. It, it says people will come from all over the world to worship, and they'll see a Jew, they'll take hold of a skirt and say, We know he's here. Take us to the Bible study. We, you know, Help us get there. You know, you know. Just imagine what that scene is going to be like. As Christ is ruling and reigning over all of these things. How many thrones? How many reigning and ruling with him? Uh, what a day. You know, this is supposed to be something that is an anchor to our soul. This hope put before us. This could be realized seven years away. The rapture happens this afternoon. This could be eight years away. How close can this be? And then all of this will be a dream and an illusion, and all of that will be reality. Imagine. And then we can sit there and talk. You can say, Pastor Joe, you know, you really messed up this verse. That wasn't what it was on. And I'll say, fine, fine, fine. You know, good with me. <laughs> then it says in verse 5, And the rest of the dead live not again. Well, they're alive, but they're in Hades until the thousand years were finished, because they're raised to judgment at the great white throne. The sea gives up its dead, the earth gives up its dead, it goes through the whole thing. He says, "What this? these are on thrones and so forth. This is the first resurrection. Now look, these are categories. These are not events. The first resurrection begins with Jesus. 
Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, he's the firstborn from the dead, the first fruits. Not the, not the boy that Elijah rose from the dead. You know, not uh, the widow of Nain's son, not Jairus' daughter, not Dorcas, not Lazarus. They all, they all came back to life. They were resuscitated. They weren't resurrected. They all died a second time. What a bummer. They had to go through it again. Jesus rose never to die again. First fruits of those who slept of the resurrection, first resurrection versus second resurrection. The saints that came out of their tombs in Jerusalem, Matthew 27, went into the old city, part of the first resurrection. The church of Jesus Christ, when it's raptured, first resurrection. The two prophets outside of Jerusalem that are killed come back to life again. They're part of the first resurrection. The, the tribulation martyrs we see here, part of the first resurrection. Blessed are those that are part of the first resurrection. Old Testament saints will be part of the first resurrection. So the first resurrection is a category. It's not a particular single event. But verse 6 gives us then the beatitude, blessed and holy is he that participates in the first resurrection because the second death hath no power over him. Look, first resurrection is a resurrection unto life. The second resurrection is a resurrection to, da to damnation. There's the t-shirt. should all get one. It says, born once, die twice. If you're only born one time, you're going to die physically, then you're going to die eternally. It says, born once, die twice, Born twice, die once. If you're born and then you're born again, you, there's only physical death. There's not eternal death, and we're in the resurrection. You got it? Born once, die twice. You're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ. You need to listen. Born once. You're not born again. You were just born and you're here. Now, I don't know what the world's offering to you. I don't know what you think you're getting. You're looking at the insanity on the news every day. Look what's going on around us. This is your world. Congratulations. This is our world. We're looking at it here. The world of Christ. The world that's to come. And if you've only been born once, you're going to die twice. If you don't turn to Jesus Christ and be born again the second time, if you're only born once, you're going to die physically. Out of every 100 people born, 100 people die. Nobody beats the odds. It's total in every generation. You're born once. You're going to die once physically. Then you're going to die forever, eternally. Born once, you're going to die twice. You can change that today. Because if you're born twice, you're only going to die once. You were born, you're here. If you accept Christ today and you're born again, you're born twice, you're only going to die once. You're not going to die eternally. Just whatever physical change may take place in your frame. There's a blessing here. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ. And here it is again. And shall reign with him a thousand years. Look, the, you know, Job 19 talks about the resurrection. Uh, Isaiah 26 talks about the resurrection. Um, Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, talk about resurrection. But they thought there was a general resurrection. One resurrection. Daniel saw there's a resurrection 
unto life. Then there's a resurrection to damnation, humiliation. He saw that. He didn't know they were separated by a thousand years. Jesus, when he's coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John, who just saw Moses and Elijah, <clears throat> and it says in the end of Malachi, Elijah will come before the great and terrible day of the Lord. So these guys are thinking, this is it. He's going to set up his kingdom. You know, they're, they're walking down behind him, <clears throat> and his back never looked the same again because they just saw him transfigured on the mountain. And the heaven, you know, heavenly Father spoke to them, this is my son, hear him. And Jesus knows what they're thinking. He said, guys, do me a favor. Don't tell anybody what you just saw until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. Then it says they started to question among themselves, what is this rising from the dead? What you don't catch there is Jesus says, don't tell anybody what you saw until the Son of Man, Echnechron, till the Son of Man is risen out from among the dead. And they question, what is this rising out from among the dead? Because they thought there was one resurrection. Jesus is the first fruits. He rose from among the dead. We will, we will get caught up to meet him in the air. The dead in Christ shall rise, but the dead out of Christ will not rise. There is a resurrection out from among the dead. That's the first resurrection. The second resurrection is the resurrection of the dead to judgment, to stand before the great white throne. Blessed is he that has part in the first resurrection. What a wonderful, that's a good t-shirt. You should make one and wear that. There's another blessing here. Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection that we don't think about a lot. You know, we're told this in Philippians. It says... Um, talks about those whose belly is, their, you know, their glory their, and their shame and so forth. They mind earthly things. For our conversation, literally, our citizenship is in heaven, not on earth. Our citizenship is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior. It's that heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it might be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. It says we, we in our resurrection are not citizens of this world. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If that were not so, I'd have told you. I would never let you have a false hope. Lo, consider this, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's not the earth, that's heaven. You and I, <clears throat> during this thousand-year reign, are citizens of heaven, the holy city Jerusalem, wherever that is. It will come down on the surface of the new earth, when you have the new heavens and new earth, but we are citizens of that city. We are told clearly in Hebrews, it says here in regards to Abraham's faith, it says, um, for he looked for a city. It's literally definite article. He looked for the city 
which hath the foundations, whose builder and maker is God, it tells us as we look at that. Then it says, These all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, they were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they they seek another country, another fatherland, you know. So we're told clearly this has been in the hearts of God's people through this city looking for. So you and I, remarkably, you can think about this on your own during the week, are citizens of the holy city, Jerusalem, and waiting for the population to grow on earth. You might get the first hundred years off. And there'll be a call in the whole city, in the holy city, you're up, you're on. So, you know, we need reinforcements down there. These human beings are repopulating so fast and filling the planet. But just think, what's this existence going to be like? You know, you think of what we're, the petty things we get involved in now and we set our desires on and we argue about. And it, it's, it's all going to be such an illusion. We're going to realize that was just... It was an illusion. It wasn't real as we stand in reality. The kingdom. The Lord taught us to pray, look, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's what we do. We worship him. The first petition is, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We will rule and reign with him on earth. Our habitation will be the holy city. Jerusalem will be the capital, adorned and renewed and broadened. The apostles will be governing the nation of Israel. David will be mayor, governor, whatever his role will be there. You can ask him about killing the giant. You can few things will say, don't ask me about that, I'm sure. Amen. Prosperity will be the law of the earth. No military budgets. No armies. No navies. No missiles. No terrorism. No prisons. No hospitals. No masks, no COVID, no social distancing. You're ready, aren't you? No vaccinations, no mental institutions, no orphanages, no foster homes, no abortion centers, no rest homes, no Medicare. No surgery, no cancer, listen if you have it, no disease, no miscarriages, no infertility, no blizzards, no hurricanes, no tornadoes. No police and no police stations. The Lord will rule. No National Guard, no FBI, no IRS. 
Yeah, you sound like a rebellious crowd to me. All of these things I've told you about Kingdom, you finally respond? No IRS? What have you been listening to all this time? All right, let me continue here. You're throwing me off. No IRS, no NSA, no bars, no casinos, no crack houses, no fentanyl, no heroin, no bigotry, no discrimination, no custody battles, no courts, but the courts of heaven, no divorce, no bribes, no government corruption, no swamp, no cults, no heresy, no astrology, no psychic hotline, no inflation or inflammation, depending on your present circumstance, no ACLU, no environmentalists, no child porn, no sex trafficking, no doctors, no dentists, no psychiatrists, no lawyers. The Sermon on the Mount will be the law of the land. Justice will be swift and righteous, merciful and true. No appeals, no loopholes. Children will play in the streets, but they'll sit wide-eyed and listen to their grandpas and their grandmas talk about war. It will only be in storybooks for them. Talk about dogs that needed a muzzle because they, they bit. They'll listen to parents and grandparents talk about Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and be amazed. Children were sick. They were in the hospital. They'll sit wide-eyed listening to stories about bomb shelters, earthquakes, about having to swat bees away because they sting, poisonous snakes. It'll be unbelievable for them to hear about ferocious lions, about kidnappers, about hearing about parents fighting. Every school will be a Christian school. There will be no other belief system. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. <laughs> Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Let's stand. Read ahead, please. You really want to be familiar with what's ahead of us, I'm telling you. 
Father, we settle our hearts before you, Lord. We pray for any here who have never come, Lord, that today they would consider that, that Lord, I know that our, in our minds, our intellects, we hear these things and it so far surpasses us that some of it, Lord, I know to those who don't believe it sounds ludicrous. But, Lord, in our hearts, your Holy Spirit makes these things real. You said when the Holy Spirit came, he would convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. That he would take the things that belong to you and he would show them to us, Lord, and bring things to our remembrance. We pray your Holy Spirit would move among us today on the hearts, Lord, of those who maybe have never come. We pray you give us our portion, Lord, to carry with us, Lord. You said hope is an anchor to our soul, Lord. Let it be that, Lord. Let us set our hope in the right places, Lord, and on the right things. And, Lord, enrich us with these truths, Lord. Jesus, we ask you to do that in your name and for your glory. Amen. And if you don't know Christ today and you want to change that, you want to be born twice, you're ready to accept Christ as your Savior, you don't deserve it, you can't earn it, you're not worthy of it, it is the free gift of a loving God that he had someone take the bullet for you, he had someone go to the electric chair for you, he had someone executed in your place he had someone pay a price he didn't owe because you owe a price that you can't pay. And if you've never come to Christ, we're going to worship. We're going to lift our hearts. We're thinking about these things. You don't want to be left out. You don't want to be left out. As we worship, sing, I encourage you to come. If a friend brought you, you're going to say, come on, I'll go down with you. We want you to come today and accept Christ as your Savior and the payment he made on the cross, a payment for you because of your sin. His resurrection, a promise to us all, and his soon return, you know, the, the anchor, the hope we have for our souls in this world. If you've never come to, forget about religion. It's not religion, it's relationship. Forget about Calvary Chapel. We are not calling you to Calvary Chapel. We are calling you to Jesus Christ. Do you know him? He is the risen one. And there are a multitude of others that will be risen with him and a multitude that will be lost because they refused. We bid you, and we're going to be praying for our own hearts. We'll also pray for you. If you don't know Christ, as we worship, we're asking you just to come. Get out of your seat. Come down here. Jesus said, if you're willing to acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before my Father and all of the angels in heaven. You come. We'll worship. You come. Lord, we put these things before you again. I ask that you make them real. Touch the hearts of those Lord, who are here who may not believe, Lord, you tell us in your word, you add daily to the church such as should be saved. Only you can do that, Lord. Hear our praise now again, we pray in your name.